Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. We are super honored and super excited to have another recurring guest back on the show today, J-Mac, Mr. Jason McCurry. Jason, welcome back to the show, my friend. Yay, I'm here. Yes, it's 11.17, and so Jason was like, uh, hey, dude, he messaged me a little bit earlier. He's like, I'm going to get a quick dad nap in Yes, because, you know, hashtag kids, and I'm going to wake up a little bit later. And uh, speaking of kids... You shared an announcement recently. What's what's going on? Yeah, just just earlier we went we went public. We went live with a uh, yep ultrasound pick. Um, but yeah, got another got another one on the way. Baby number two. That's awesome, man! Congratulations. Yeah. So how it's like? I think you said five months left. So she's like, what second trimester? Uh, yeah, we just started the second trimester, and uh, it'll be it'll be a girl, another girl. So I'm oh, girl nice. dad up. Yeah. <laughs> dude that's awesome though i've got two girls i love it it's a good life it's a good life they're sweethearts kinda, we kind of i mean who knows what the future holds but we kind of said that we would like you know we wanted to we both wanted to so yeah in my mind yeah. you know i kind of like you know you want all the experiences in life so right, i was sure. thinking like a boy and a girl i was yeah. after a boy to be honest but i mean yeah. health, you know yeah. healthy is all that matters at this point so. absolutely for sure so for sure so, yeah, we're, yeah we're excited so but you know you'll never know Maybe you'll be able to talk her into number three. Try for that boy one more time. I will not be doing the talking on three. (laughs) I'm not against (laughs) three. No. Oh, my gosh. Don't 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 jake it. it. Have two, then get the snip and call it a day. Yeah, that's the Michael Dorinda way right there. But he got lucky. He got the the boy and the girl. Yeah, you you, you achieved the goal. (laughs) Yeah, he's like. Yeah, get the boy, get the girl, and then get the out of there. I might might have gotten out of there. If, Nobody if needs more than two. Maybe, probably not. Though. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I hear that. I hear that. So yeah, we were we were fortunate. We had boy girl, and then I was like, oh, let's have another one. Girl, boy. So we got boy girl, girl boy. So mm. it's fun. It's fun. Four is. It's an adventure, man. See, it's I don't. An adventure, I don't know. It's sure. you know. I'm. I'm. You know. I do investing, so it's all risk reward, right? So then I'm thinking, ah, if we yeah. go, if we yeah. go for three, if it's the girl. <laughs> Uh, then i'm just gonna so like i don't know is it worth it's the like risk? do i just embrace it right do I just embrace it i just go full-on girl dad and just like call it good right yeah. or what so that's cool that's cool it's uh it's nice it's nice that you you're thinking so positively about it that you're only gonna have one you know my oh, sister yeah. went to oh, have three and ended yeah. up with twins um and I've had a friend. I've had a friend did the same thing. He well, we were all and he's had twins now yeah, well, we were all so. wives talesy because you know supposedly the twin thing like skips a generation, and so our grandparents on both sides, there's two sets of twins in oh, in that generation. Oh. So that was kind of the first thing when we went because Ashley was all like, "What if it's twin boys? Then you're you know right." So, but yeah. yeah, oh boy. Yeah, you have to go again for exactly. a girl. Oh no, <laughs> might have got the double snip. Well, hey, twins. Yeah, <laughs> double snip, just extra insurance. Yeah, exactly. Just well, get the vice yeah. out. Yeah, exactly. Get the clamp hey, out. Um, you know, I did kind of skip a little bit here. I think uh, you know, for people who have been listening to our show for a while or who have been a part of the Laravel community for any decent amount of time, you probably know who J Mac is. But for those of you who don't, Jason, would you mind just introducing yourself real quick? Yeah, sure. J Mac. Uh, so Jason McCreary is just kind of a, a little acronym or whatever for my for my name, um, just because I always tend to work with other Jasons. Um, but yeah, probably about gosh seven. Going on seven years ago now, I uh, created Laravel Shift, which is an automated upgrade tool 
to kind of automate the process of upgrading your Laravel applications. Of course, there's the wonderful Laravel upgrade guide out there, super detailed, but sometimes there's a lot of steps in there and, uh, you know, there's robotic things out there, you know, as developers that can do all that work for us instead of having to copy and paste or config files and compare everything. Uh, it just kind of does all that for you. So that's probably my claim to fame in the Laravel community. I've got some other like educational materials out there that have really just been to fill gaps, you know, with shift over the years. Um, mm-hmm. Shift is probably what people would know me for. I would think. Yep. You got some other good, you got some other good podcasts mm-hmm. out there. Uh, got base code. So really good stuff. Lots, lots of good products. Um, you can find it's so Laravel shift for sure. I'm a big user, use it all the time. Um, we've got about, I was looking today and I think in our organization, we actually have like 60 repos in GitHub. Um, not all of those are Laravel applications, but I think maybe about like half of them are or something like that. So we keep Jason's shift service very busy. We've been subscribed as uh, shifty on the shifty plan for, we lapsed for a little while there when there was a, yeah. And Jason let me know about it because Jason's always hang, coming and hanging out here in Bloomington whenever we have Laracon online. And he's like, hey, Jake, uh, by the way, uh, you know, it's coming time. You're, you're going to need to get some more yeah, shifts. I'm like, yeah, very true. And so we ended up, yeah. and you forgot the CVC code <laughs> or something for oh, a while. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. I know. Oh, dude. And then I put in a new one and I actually put in the wrong one. Do you remember that too? I don't know. Like, I blocked oh, it out. Oh, my gosh. It was ridiculous. I blocked it out of my memory. It was ridiculous. Anyway, we we were off the plan for a little bit there, and we were feeling it. So we're we're back on the plan and uh, shifting away. So, um, yeah, thanks thanks for that service. The other thing I was going to say though, like where where do we find like base code and the podcast and all that stuff? Where's the best place to to get that stuff for people who are interested? Oh gosh, um, it does kind of all float around. I've thought about that over the years. It's it's not it's not very like cohesive. <laughs> all my you don't have like jmac dot com or anything like that. No dot com. There, there's Jason McCreary dot me, <laughs> uh, which you okay. know, if you do go over to like the the products section, you'll you'll find all of these different things. But there we go. Basecodefieldguide.com. It, again, that, that would probably be the the second largest standalone thing because you know it's got the podcast, it's got the ebook, which yep, is exactly the ebook's actually free now. Um, I started making my products that are a couple years old now, just the base you know package of them free. It's just kind of like some of these things. I just I just want people to have, you know, I think at the time yeah, they, yeah. they were for income and I spent the time on it. So I needed to get something again on, on that return. But now it's kind of like some of these practices and stuff in there, like everyone should know, you know, it doesn't matter if you're Laravel or mm-hmm. not. Like if you're a developer, I, I think they're important. So I just started making that stuff free. I think getting gets free, um, stuff like that. Oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah. That was one of the first getting get. Yeah, that was one of the first. I remember that. That was a that was a good one. They all kind of yeah. again. They all kind of came out of Shift just because you know I built Shift for example on getting Git. I built Shift, and then I got a lot of support questions about like how do I use Git. And then I was like, oh wow, people people don't know Git maybe the way I know how to use version control. They yeah, did, sure. or, or they're using it through a GUI instead of command line. And and the PRs and mm-hmm. Shift are like giving you command line stuff. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And then it was like, oh my gosh, none of these applications have tests. Uh, you know, yeah, Adam Wathen's got this cool TDD course, but what about testing existing applications, right? There's kind of this big right. gap, and he admitted, like, people always, that's his biggest question. People ask him, okay, great, TDD, but what about old apps? And so, you know, I came out with Confident Laravel and, like, the test generator and, you know, all that stuff. So so each one has been built in a way kind of out of the information that I've gathered from supporting Shift over the years and, and tried to fill those gaps. Yeah, 
So kind of like on that same thought then. So I know that recently uh, Laravel has moved over to using Vite instead of Webpack um, for the latest releases. Um, so you guys recently, you and Jess Acha, uh, put together a shift for going from Webpack to Vite, I think. And you guys just released now, that now like Jess, just a little bit ago. Jess corrected me. It's mm-hmm. Vite. I've corrected Jake before, but he's Vite. a slow okay. learner. Michael did the same thing. He did. I just can't. I am. It's true. I, it's I, I so was did you call it, it Vite I as was well? calling it Vite as well. Okay. And Jess kind of so giggled much better at to me. Know I'm not the only old man. I know. It is okay. straight Oof. up on their docs page. It's French. It's <laughs> Vite. It Vite. It means quick. Okay. Vite. Okay. Sounds good. Um, so I think what I would love to do, I, I want to talk about some shift stuff. Um, so we can talk about the Vite shift first. I would love to talk a little bit about what Vite is, like why, why the changeover. Um, I think that might be helpful for some of our listeners. And then also talk about some of the other stuff you guys have been working on in shift. That's super valuable, AKA workbench 1.0. So let's start with Vite and let's kind of, let's kind of go from there. And Michael, I know you've been using it too. Um, so, yeah, he gave me a look like, eh. well, I mean, you've used it on a couple of things, haven't you? Use Vite? Did you sw- switch on for something or not? No, no? Uh, not someone. Yet. Okay. Oh, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, uh, Pint. Pint. That's not getting, yeah, Sorry. oddly pronounced words. It's hard to keep all those mixed up in your head. Or pint. I know. See, now I say pint on that right? one. See, I thought it was pint too, but Michael said it's PHP lint. Yeah. So it's pint. He put the I don't two know, together. Man. It's like, okay. Yeah. So it's like, you've got the, you've got the, you know, the big, um, it's like a glass, a pint glass. glass yeah. uh, of, of, yeah, it's a pint glass, yeah, a beer. It's absolutely right? a pint so glass. It's like, you look at it yeah. and it says pint. It's like, okay, well, it's pronounced pint. No, it's pint. I don't know. So I actually, I, I, got, know, I, Jason, got a little, I, I can't keep up. Yeah, I got a little backstory on that. Kaneko thought it was, you know, he makes all these logos in the community. Uh-huh, sure, he right. thought it was pint. And then Nuno uh-huh, was like, uh-huh. I don't, I don't know what that is supposedly he doesn't know what a pint of beer is give me a what break doesn't know what a pint is <laughs> but anyway he claimed he didn't oh, know funny. and then and then kind of put the two together to kind of brand it that way but then when yes when he was explaining and i think on twitter he was saying you know how do you name this stuff and it's like oh i take these two things and and put it you know put it together. it together um so by the by that definition then it would be php and lint so it would be mm. pint um right but again the logo is pint so it's you know it's it's dealer's choice i, I know it's like tomato tomato yeah dealer's choice that's a good way to say it. tomato tomato um so so tell me a little bit about the uh Vite shift uh how what's all involved in that how complicated is it you know if we're talking like default laravel app uh going from one to the other probably handles it perfectly how about going from like uh you know sort of a complex webpack setup to to Vite? how's the shift work and how much does it cost or is this one free yeah. What's the deal on that? Sure. Yeah. So I guess just a little backstory. And as far as using Vite itself, I I would also not be the best person to ask on that. Admittedly, Th- this came about because Jess um, recently joined the Laravel team. I'm sure you guys have uh, talked yes. about that. But um, anyway, so so we haven't really been pairing on Shift since then. I guess since April. Um, but she reached out and said, "Hey, this is about to get merged, and I've kind of been working on the upgrade guide, so I'm I'm putting my shift hat on and thinking, hey, we can automate again. We can automate all this tedious crap of like giving your files extension and copying over your configuration and like you know all these things that yeah, sure you can follow the upgrade guide, but again, we we could have a computer, a, a robot do all that stuff for us. Um, so anyway, uh, she reached out and." 
we paired up, I think, last Tuesday when it was released and, like, built this thing within 24 hours. Yeah, nice. So. Nice. Yeah, so it was fun. It was fun. It was mostly fun to hack together. But to kind of answer some of your questions, that that's how it came about. It is free. It's going to remain free. as just kind of a, a honeypot, uh, you know, a, a bit of a gateway into Shift for maybe people that are still new to shift or skeptic of its awesomeness i you know i don't know yeah <laughs> um but it, it is a pretty thorough shift actually now i will say what i've gathered is that while Veet is now the new default first there's mm-hmm. there's no requirement um just like there's no requirement to upgrade your label application you know there's no requirement to adopt the new fancy i'll also say that i've kind of gathered that i feel like Maybe it's support. Support not might be the right word, but its robustness is not. Mm-hmm. It's not mature yet. Obviously, it just came out last. You know, as far as its Laravel integration, it just came out last week. Right. So just like a brand yeah. new release, there's going to be some patches. There's going to be some time until the community sort of catches up, if you will. Package authors, you know, tweak things. So like some of the stuff I've gotten in support has talked about maybe some inertia advanced configuration or what if you're still uh, running view two and not again the latest if you're running the latest of everything brand new laravel app absolutely upgrade stay with you know the current times current conventions that's what shift is all about um but yeah if you have a super complex customized webpack configuration for mix with like dozens of post css or sas plugins definitely read the upgrade guide you know read the new front end docs page, like see if you're going to be covered. You know, the Veet converter is again, free to run. Worst case scenario, you run it, you close the PR, you don't merge it. Um, exactly. Why not try yeah. it out? But if you know you've hobbled together Webpack to work just with mix, you're probably not, you know, it's probably not going to work to, to swap to Veet just yeah. yet. Yeah. That's good advice. Um, Michael, have you have you been watching any of the Twitters as far as some of this Veet stuff has been concerned too? I know Freak has put out like some blog posts. There was somebody else, I think Christoph Rumpel put off put something together about like migrating from Webpack to Veet. There's also been some things like uh, Freak put together a package for having Veet watch Blade files for changes and then reloading your page. Um, there was some issues I know with like SSL, like if your if your local dev mm-hmm. requires you to have a certificate, it might not work with that. Uh, there was some stuff with valet. So like I, I'm with you, Jason. Like it's it seems really interesting. Uh, but I do think we are still in the early days of it. So there there's gonna be some stuff. I always kind of wait a couple weeks or even a month before I upgrade to the latest uh Laravel version, just because I know that's kind of how it is. It's just there's a couple bumps along oh, the yeah. way. Um you you, you gotta release to get that to get that out yeah. there, right? So you can get wide adoption and see what some of the bugs and edge cases are. It's just kind of part of the process. But um I know even one of our one of our junior devs is working on a brand new project and it's like a brand new Laravel install and he wanted to switch over to Vite and like definitely go for it. I think he was was he one of the first ones to run the shift. Was that Duncan? Do I remember right? Luke 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 Bouch. Oh Luke. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. yeah gosh. He. It was kind of funny because um, you know, we just I just threw it on Twitter when Jess and I were pairing. Like, hey, we're gonna have this out. You know, later in the week. You know, generic. I wanted to give myself some time. I think the next morning I woke up and there was like at least seven plus emails oh, of hilarious. like, hey, is this thing here? Because, yeah, Frake and, and Christoph had had all released these posts, of course, because they're, they're big about latest and greatest and, and always pushing. For sure. And um, 
so people were like, yeah, we want to do this, you know? And, uh, yeah, but he was one of them. So I was like, give me, give me like 10 minutes and it's, <laughs> it's the betas coming out. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm up at, you know, 5am now with, with Izzy. So it's just like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of answering emails in the background while she's finishing her bottle. So mm-hmm. it was just funny to see mm-hmm. the buzz like overnight. Yeah. That's, that is funny. Yeah. So like for you, Michael, like, yeah, what do you, oh, I was going to ask, like, what do you think like are some of the, like, what do you feel like is the biggest benefit? Like why, why switch? To- um, well, I mean, I deal with like JSON API all day, so I don't have any of this stuff in my app, which is, which is nice. I've, I've kind of been observing it from a distance and I think we're, we're kind of aware of it because we do, you know, Laravel news. And so we're kind of finger on the pulse for a lot of this stuff. I think it, it kind of came about pretty quickly and now it's the default. So I was, I was talking to someone yesterday actually, and they said that, you know, they did a Laravel new and suddenly NPM run dev doesn't, doesn't work or it doesn't work in the same way that it used to because that then runs Vite, which then runs, uh, you know, a hot reloading server, whereas NPM run dev before used to, you know, generate development assets and then that was the end of the process. So they're like, what the hell is going on? Because it, it was, it kind of like, <laughs> it became the default yeah. in a in a minor. I said, well, I get it. It's It's a bit annoying in that regard, but the Laravel skeleton repository is not, not covered by semantic versioning anyway um so like they can they can do whatever they want there and if you don't like it like use your own base repo with your own defaults like i've got one that does that same thing um so i think it seems as though like some people just weren't expecting it if they're not you know if you're not keeping up to date with everything that's happening and suddenly you've got this new build process you're like what's going on and then there's like upgrade guide and whatever else i think yeah i understand that i think generally speaking like don't don't upgrade. Like even if you've got like a fairly vanilla, like don't go out of your way to to go from mix to Vite. Um, you know, it's. I mean, it'll be quicker, and and the the configuration is simpler and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I totally get it from that respect. And if that's that's an actual pain point for you, then maybe spend the time or use the Laravel shift to do it to to get your app across. But I I mean I've still got an app that I've only just, you know, in the last six months or so converted over to Mix, which was using whatever the old thing was previously. Yeah, so I think, like, I, I've still had an app that was on whatever the thing before Mix was, like, or it was on, like, a very early version of Mix. And and it's, like, the JavaScript ecosystem at the best of times is fairly finicky and, like, just upgrading packages can cause entire builds that like if you don't update your your npm for like three months things can get out of whack and just totally stop working for no reason so changing from one build build tool chain to another one um is not something that i would leap at uh but like and it's kind of like vite is the new default for new apps you don't have to change your old apps but if you're you know, if you're an agency or whatever and you're doing lots of apps, you kind of you kind of forced to use Vite now, or you're forced to kind of maintain your own skeleton and try and keep that up to date just to keep the mix compatibility, or every time you're Laravel new, you've got to figure out how to like roll back. Maybe that's another shift for you. <laughs> roll roll backwards yeah. to Laravel Mix kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's an unshift. Mm. Yeah. Unshift. There's definitely I, I mean I'm I'm in agreement about 
it probably shouldn't have been just just from the support that comes in. Mm-hmm. Again, every shift comes with support. So I get dozens and dozens of emails. And with their, the free, obviously, again, more people are going to use yeah. it than the paid, of course. And, and the early adopters are going to get in there and slam it. And they're going to give me their feedback, which I love. So for the past week, I've been answering you know support emails. And it definitely lends to everything you were saying. Like... It's just, again, I used that word mature earlier, but it probably, because of that, it probably should not have been tagged in the default skeleton so quickly, in my opinion. It probably should have been released, and here here it is. Let's let people try it out for a week. You can manually do the upgrade guide. People like Frake, Kristoff, all these big people are going to be using yeah. it. And, you know, again, let those early adopters, like, weed it out, because to your point front end is clearly not really what a majority i mean i know we're all full stack and all that stuff but like that's not what laravel is it's not front end so why do anything that that feeds into that kind of notorious pain of of the world of npm so now on the flip side i think they're also trying to solve that veet's supposed to be less dependent it's supposed to kind of marry in better with things and let other things be their things like post css and tailwind for example instead of trying to do all that in one big Mm -hmm. build tool which is why it it was slow it kind of leverages all these other things that existed in your project theoretically anyway but again if you're still running bootstrap 4 with sass and this and that and everything else you probably better just keep webpack for a little while you know yeah yeah Yeah, sorry and it's it's kind of like it and maybe Jeffrey Way was just sick of maintaining mix. I don't know. Maybe he's just like, guys, I need yeah. an off ramp on this thing because like I'm yeah. just tired of doing and, this. Well, I do think I do think Vita is supposed to be the latest in terms of the maintenance. Like, I don't I don't blame the the Laravel team for not like for going. Okay, well, if we're going to pick up the maintenance burden of this project, let's let's go and pivot to the you know the new thing. And it's not just like. You know, Laravel obviously catapulted Vue into popularity and relevance and usage and, like, gave it a real leg up to where it is now. But it's got legs of its own. And and Evan Yu's not a dummy. Like, he's spent ages working on this and, and the Vue team have been working on Vite and they've got it into this good place where, like, yeah, yeah, it's not story. just mm-hmm. new shiny for the sake of new shiny. It's, it is demonstra- demonstrably better for what it is built for, which for the majority of Laravel applications, you know, that's fantastic. But at the same time, I think it was like, you know, two weeks from announcement to, to release. So there was not, and, and Laravel has always been fast and, and like that, that's fine, but there was no real hour. Like there was no lead up to it. There was no, this is coming. Um, here's how you can test it kind of thing. Um, and I think, you know, at this size and, and that's, a significant enough change, even even if it's just for new applications, that you know you probably want to give people a bit of a heads up. You know, more, certainly more than two weeks, because then you know the only people that know about it are the people on Twitter, kind of thing. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't know what what the solution yeah. for that is. I don't know beyond like Laravel news what what is the communication pathway for Laravel to announce that kind of stuff anyway. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's tough. I think I think that's a good point. I mean, I, I'm definitely not one, of course, to to say, oh, let's shy away from from releasing and, and adopting new stuff. So definitely um, don't want to make it sound like, you know, by me saying it's not mature or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I was only really just saying from a rollout right. plan, I think, given some of the p- support that I've seen come in. And I also want to just kind of clarify that, yeah, Vite is definitely a standalone thing. Laravel's integration 
with Vite is is really what the new part mm-hmm. of it. Vite itself is absolutely mature, and and you can go and hobble together just like maybe you might have with Webpack the configuration you need to make all this run in your application. My point is is that that Laravel adoption, that on ramp that we're talking about, is is still kind of that's the part that's maturing. We need some blog posts out there. Yeah. We need some people. Yeah, I can make this converter. But just like, you know, Dorinda's saying, like, this is really only about 90%. You know, this is just a majority of your basic Laravel apps that this is going to crush. If you've got super custom configuration, you're still going to have to get in there and get your hands dirty and, and reconfigure some of that for yeah. Vite. And when there's no resources to search for on the web or you missed maybe some special tweet, you know, that was out there in a timely right, manner. Exactly. Like, you're going to get a little stuck. And that that's the part that – that's the experience that – to me feels a little lacking of Laravel because if you know that we've really put Laravel on this huge pedestal of like excellent docs and everything's right there at your fingertips and it's it's so easy and so it yeah it would suck to to have a poor experience just because you know it's new yeah so yeah yeah if I don't know if you all remember and and gosh with COVID the lost the lost years of COVID I don't remember if this was two years ago now or three but to me, it would have been the equivalent of making PEST the default testing framework back when Nuno first he, – he sent a PR like immediately when PEST came out and when he joined the team and was like, let's, let's make this the mm-hmm. default. To me, it's somewhat equivalent if they had merged that, right? Like it just wasn't kind of ready for that type of integration just yet. Or it would have felt like a big yank yeah. to get it, that, right? It would yeah. have been like – um, cause as it stands now, what is it like, can you do either or, or is it like, I mean, you can do either or, right. I oh, just yeah. don't know mix if it's still by, like with yeah. the framework, how is that? No, I'm sorry. Not mix. Oh, I'm pest. saying like pest versus PHP unit. Like, um, yeah. Cause I feel like there are some things that are tested with pest, right. Is like our jet stream or something like that. Is there, is there something that is some, of, some of the, some of the first like party tools are certainly using pest. I know that, um, like pin is tested using pest. And things like that. So the the, oh, yeah. the first party tools are certainly okay. using that it, but in sense. terms of you know rolling that out as the the first party kind of default testing framework, as as Max said, that was something that Nuno put out when he first started at Laravel, and like that went to GitHub as a discussion, like we want to do this, do, you know, should we go about it? And broadly, the community said like no, and and so it was kind of rejected. And I think that that kind of discussion amongst the community is good um, because, you know, it lets people have a say. And it, and whilst Taylor generally has a good sense for what the community wants and doesn't want and, um, you know, sometimes it's it's not about asking the community what they want because, you know, the, the Henry Ford, the misquote, the misattributed quote, that like if I asked what people wanted, they, w- they wouldn't have wanted more horses or whatever it was. Um, you know, if, if if he'd asked, then yeah, everyone's going to say, "Let's stick with what we've got," because because that's what it is. But there are, I, I think, I don't yeah. I don't know what the answer is because you know Taylor is the BDFL of of the Laravel project, and you know, most of the time he's on the money. But every now and then you get these little things where it's like maybe some more voices can help. Um, and 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 like, you know, obviously he's going to run the project as he sees fit. I just don't I don't know what the because because sometimes there is discussion, like, should we do this? Sometimes there is, I'm going to do this. Is there anything we're missing? And other times it's like, yeah, we've, we've done it kind of thing. So I don't I don't know what the, the decision tree is for, 
you know, which approach gets taken when kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think Veet probably felt more opt-in and maybe that's why this wasn't, who knows, maybe, maybe, um, yeah, maybe it didn't seem like a, a, as big of a change, but I, I do think once you, once you do Laravel new and that's what you get, and if you're again, if you're a brand new developer, then that's what you're used to. But yeah, if if you're an agency or or a team that's making more apps, yeah, now you've kind of got this disjointed, mm-hmm. you know, use case. There's also the legacy that comes with it. Like you said, I, I didn't even realize myself either. But yeah, I, I'm I got all these scripts running npm run dev, and now they're all yeah, like you said, now they're all listening. Yeah, they're doing for these changes. Things. That's and, right. Yeah, it's not it's not that wasn't really. Yeah. And if you read the docs, it says, hey, if you want to statically build them, run NPM build. So it, it definitely addresses these mm-hmm. things. But again, if you're if you have that legacy of being used to it. So, and you know, again, that's another little thing the Veed converter does. It goes in and changes all them to, you know, the new thing now and leaves you a little comment that says, hey, these are the differences in these commands mm-hmm. now. So there's education around shift as well. But that was stuff, again, that kind of came after the fact of people emailing saying, oh, yeah, worked great. But, you know, I ended up wanting to run npm run build instead of npm run dev in these scenarios where before i just ran dev so you know there's education Mm -hmm. it just takes time it's just change you know it's oh we're scared humans but at the the same time you know had had the discussions been had like someone would have picked that up and it's like okay well maybe instead of making um you know run dev watch and build is dev like someone would have no doubt said actually let's let's keep the behaviors of those scripts the same and like you can go yeah. and change them to or see- some hot tips on Twitter right, or whatever, right. you know. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. There would have been some more adoption, and I, you know that's where we are now. But yeah, that's that's that maturity that I was kind of yeah. throwing out there. That those are the little things I'm getting after. So it all works. Yeah, it'll get yeah. there. It'll get there. It'll just take a little bit of time for probably. Um, so let's let's uh, leave this dead <laughs> horse alone for a little bit here, and let's go over to. Uh, I wanted to talk about Workbench. So you guys have Laravel Workbench in, a different t- in, in addition to just Laravel Shift. Um, maybe you could give us a quick elevator pitch for what Workbench is and then tell us uh, about... So you've got a 1.0 release. So up until this point, it's been in beta. Um, tell us about the 1.0 release. Yeah, this kind of goes back to how there's a, there's a lot of things that I do over the years and and I need to kind of like bring them back to like this cohesive you know service, if you will. So the workbench, gosh, probably built that maybe three or four years ago now. It's definitely pre-COVID. So so yeah, um, probably three years ago, we built a cloud-based version. And what the workbench is, is it allows you to run one-off tasks of Shift. So over the years, Shift has all these things. So for example, the Laravel, the Laravel 8 Shift within it has a Laravel Mix 6 upgrade. It has this little tiny piece of automation that's within that Shift. So shift that shift does all sorts of things, upgrading config files, uh, changing your factories, your model factories, all that kind of stuff, right? But what if you just wanted to update your model factories? Well, you don't want to run the whole Laravel 8 shift again or whatever. What if you've upgraded manually and you and you want to adopt a new class-based model factories? So I just thought, oh, I can take all this automation and and pluck all these like individual ones out that people might want to run and allow them to run those. And that's what the workbench is. It has all these little tasks that you can kind of run individually and create in a way your own shift out of them. So if you want to format your code and you want to adopt model factories and you want to maybe um, use facades instead of helpers or vice versa, um, you can go and run these tasks within the workbench. 
So um, for like Workbench 1.0, uh, what is so you said you started with the cloud version. Is the Workbench 1.0 release just the uh, sort of arrival of the desktop version as well? Yeah, so it's it's kind of the official quote unquote stable version of the Workbench. So exactly a year ago, actually, Jess and I paired up. This was something else we worked together on, and we built an Electron app, and that was, you know. Um, Marcel, of course, you know, they have Tinkerwell and they have all these cool little desktop tools. So they've kind of taken Laravel and broken into this desktop application realm with these tools, these development tools. So I picked up his course, you know, one Black Friday, I think prior and and Jess and I were looking at saying, oh, well, let's let's bring shift a little closer to home. Let's bring shift into your daily development workflow. Like, of course, you're going to do this shift once a year, you know, to upgrade Laravel or whatever. But, you know, again, what about these individual tasks, these individual refactoring tools? Um, so, yeah, there's the Workbench desktop app. It's been in like the zero dot, you know, point release for a year now. And we mostly added like UI features. So we needed to do, you know, license renewal. We needed to do, um, I think there was like, you could never really like manage. It's backed by Docker. So you could never really like manage the Docker builds underneath. So like now you can kind of kill those if they hang or whatever you know all the notoriously <laughs> difficult stuff docker it kind of masks all that from you but we but yeah. we needed to give you more control i think the beta version people understood they could just restart their client but little nuances like that the automation's always been updated you know but the the app itself needed some final polish and so that was when we felt like it was 1.0 once it had that you know it's got dark mode now all that kind of stuff yeah. Yeah. And uh for me, like I was I actually went to install the workbot the workbench desktop app and I was like, I actually think I'm okay with just using the cloud version. So for for me, like I didn't really never ever need to install the desktop version because we run all of our stuff on GitHub, right? So but for somebody like Michael, who doesn't have the benefit of running on GitHub, um, something like the desktop app makes great sense because you can just run it locally, right? And then you can just make your own PR, no big deal. Because um, I know that's been a huge limitation probably in the past for you as well is like Shift just runs in the yeah. cloud. So I think you originally just started with GitHub and then maybe you had like GitLab. I don't know if you had, what, did you, what was it, Bitbucket, writing Bitbucket and then maybe GitLab afterwards or something like that. So yeah. it um, supports the big three. So those, those are, yeah. Yeah. But there's definitely an audience over the years that has been like, well, we use self-hosted GitLab, you know, or we use something sure. else, you know, out of Amazon. And it's like, you know, what do I do for these people? So I made the Docker shifts. So that kind of bridged over into shift or sorry, bridged over into Docker. And then it was like, okay, well, I also want to run, you know, these other bits of automation. So yeah, we kind of, I always prove it out in the cloud and then, and then I need to appeal to that audience that maybe has some kind of restriction, be it an NDA, be it privacy concerns, be it self-hosted, whatever, you know, they need to be able to run this automation too. So that that's kind of when I cross over into the desktop thing. But I think the desktop thing kind of like Veet was just fun. It was just kind of fun and new and modern to build kind of a, you know, again, another, another desktop tool um, that the Laravel community could use. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, I, so again, oops, sorry, microphone, huge, um, huge fan of shift. I I've used workbench a little bit less. Um, uh, 
but you were talking about this earlier and it actually piqued my interest. You were talking, I think, I'm not sure exactly which point it was that you were talking about, but just really regarding like documentation and decisions that are being made. Um, and for something like Laravel, this gets, I'm sure that they have some sort of uh, standard for the ways they do this, but I, I thought I'd like pick your guys' brain. Both of you guys have been part of uh, teams that have multiple, multiple developers. You know, I've got a really relatively small team, so we can be pretty flexible. We don't have a lot of like um, cow paths, I guess, like things that are really hard to change. We're still really pretty flexible. Um, but regarding things like documentation, uh, there's like a million options. And the challenge for me was trying to figure out like where where you document certain things, right? So like, because with this myriad of options, it can be really difficult to, to decide. So you've got like GitHub issues. You have uh, wikis that are available on every GitHub repo now. You have, um, uh, you know, pull requests that could reference actual code that was written. Um, you have tools like Notion, which are really easily searchable. You have Slack or Teams where you do your real-time chats. You have Basecamp, which is great for like figuring out, you know, if you want to do the whole, um, what's that called? What's, what was the book that Ryan uh, Singer came out with not too long ago? Oh, the, uh, just talking about the betting table and all that. The yeah. hills or whatever. What is that the one? Do you remember Michael? The, yeah. I don't remember um, what it's called. Like your appetite and things like that. Yeah, all that stuff that he talked about that he mm-hmm. threw into a book, right? So, like, we have a million tools. And so we were previously using Basecamp to just kind of talk about issues and document them in there and then set, like, priority for the days. And then we're like, you know what? GitHub Projects actually works across all of your repos now, which looks really, which is really good. And you could just use issues, and that's awesome. And I can prioritize those and have different views, and that's good. So we're kind of using GitHub Projects for that. But, like, you know, documentation about, like, here's how we do this particular pattern or like, Hey, here's how we set up this thing when this fails or, um, you know, here's why we made this particular decision for this one repo. Like, do you guys have anything in your experience in your past experience where you'd say like, I worked with a team and they really had a great way for onboarding new developers where they could go and find, you know, answers to problems that you would commonly have as a developer or, you know, if somebody's trying to understand why a piece of code was written this way, here's kind of how they would go find documentation around that. Yeah, any tips, tricks around that that you guys have, I would love to hear about. Ooh, I'll, I'll punt to Dorinda for a minute. <laughs> what, what was the question again? <laughs> okay, the question That's like documentation question processes. Yeah, when, yeah, right. And and I guess this this is actually making me feel better because it's it mm-hmm. is a really hard problem. It's the the fact that neither of you guys have like a really quick off the cuff like oh definitely this is how we do this. I mean, I makes me feel a little bit better because I have a junior dev who's coming in and it's like, "Hey, listen, like where do I find information about this?" And I'm kind of like, "Oh, well, yeah. here's what I can tell you because I know." And it's like, "Well, is there any place where it's recorded?" Yeah. It's like, eh, "Not really." I mean, We've... you know what I mean? So I'm trying to figure out like how do I document some of that stuff? Like is there a great you know, is there a great place that you've found that works really well or a, a pattern that you've used mm-hmm. with your teams previously? That's all I'm, I'm just looking for yeah. some like we've, pointers on that front. If you guys have, you know, run into a similar got, problem. So our, our main app is an API. So the API itself is documented in terms of like request response to a degree. It's not like a full on open API spec where it's got all of the fields and the values and things like that in our definitions. But there is documentation that says like, if you send us data structured in this way with like, these are all the fields 
Um, and we've got docs for like all of the enums and things like that. So that's the, the public facing stuff. Then we have docs for the application itself that talks about, um, you know, how we, how we connect to AWS, how we do our deployments, how Envoy works, how to create new resources for the API, how to do all of this. Kind of, so we have documentation. And right, then, yeah, that stuff. So Where do that's, you put that we're at? using, I think it's Larecipe, like L-A-R-E-C-I-P-E. And that's just like a Laravel package that you can compose a require that sits in your Laravel app. And so that's alongside the application. And then we just guard that so that it's only available um, if you're logged in in production or um, if you're on local, like that's just available. And so these are all just markdown documents. We just put in stuff in there. So anything that's relevant to... The, the app and how it functions. I, I, I built a, an integration for a third party that we that we shipped out to, to production last week. And so all of the documentation on how I built that and the structure and like all of that kind of stuff is in, in, in those documents. And so it's just so that it's right alongside the application. If someone goes like, how do, how do I do this? Or what's this? Or how does this function? Or why have you done it like this? That's all documented. Um. And so, you know, that's I've I've been making a conscious effort to do that because I think some of the stuff that I've been doing is a little bit like it's fairly normal Laravel, but it's kind of far removed from the kind of Laravel that is in the app already. So it, it needs that context, I think. In terms of like other documentation, we've got we're fairly heavily integrated with Google Docs. So we've just got like Google Docs everywhere. But and 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 there's like flowchart diagrams and you know um relationship you know erds and things like that we've got all of that kind of stuff but it's it's kind of like in folders x levels deep so it's not really searchable and so if you don't know what you're looking for it's like the discoverability is the problem um and then we've got ClickUp, which is like our project management tool which is for the more ephemeral stuff documentation of like we've got the our migration going to to aws and so we're documenting like these are all the steps that need to be done. This is the pre-flight checks. This is the commands we need to run to, to migrate the databases. So all of that kind of stuff is where we do it. But, you know, in, in the project management tool, well, it's it's there. It's like a fleeting thing where it's documented just in time for when you need it. And then it's like, you know, you don't need to know how you did the migration once the migration's done. So it's kind of scattered in different places. I think Sure, yeah. I think I like Notion, but I don't I don't really think there's like a good tool that I have used for any of this stuff. Cause discoverability is the key. Like if you bring someone new in, um, and I'm I'm like having to revisit the way that we do permissions in our API again. And cause it's like cascaded and there's like owners that have like permissions to everything and then there's like groups that have subsets of that and then there's like a level of user that sits between like a group manager and an admin that can access all of the groups and and so every time I have to look at the permission system it's just like and I don't even really know where to begin to kind of explain it to document it in such a way that like I don't have to ask again because every time I look at it I'm like I've got no idea because it's like it's it's a mix of like authorization that's that's like gates sitting on top of the, the the json api package we're using that's also like using fields in the database to kind of allocate all of this stuff so it's like it's um i i try and document as i go as much as i can 
just to kind of explain what's going on. Um, and like if there's something new, then I will try and document like what that is, what I've done, what I've added. If there's something I found that was unclear, I try and document what I did, you know, oh, this step was missing. So I'll go and find the docs if they exist and then backfill them. And I think that's just hard in and of itself. Because like you yeah, go, oh yeah, Super I figured hard. this out and this is what I did and that's it. Like that information is in your head. But like the next person that comes along doesn't have that unless you take ownership of it. And they don't know, and they, right, and they probably don't know that the docs mm-hmm. exist either. Like, where do they right. know to look for that, right? So for me, that's always the hardest part. Is it's like, how do you discover that that exists? And like, so so for me, like, I guess the answer that I was talking to one of my devs about is I was like, here's the deal: if you have a question about how a piece of code works or why it was written that way, the decisions around that should be documented in the pull request that merged that code or the issue that mm-hmm. that pull request closed. Right. So it's like you go click on that line of code, you click blame, and you figure out who did it. You go look at the PR that was merged to go find it. You click on that number. It's recorded in GitHub. You go see the pull request. You go see all the changes that were made, any of the discussion that was made on that pull request around it. You go reference the original issue that shows, hey, here was the problem we were experiencing. Like that should, that right there, like, cause that's always, you know, that's the hard part. Like, how do you know what, where the documentation exists? Mm-hmm. That's where it exists on that you know, that chain you follow that chain through and that should be where you could find any of the information regarded to that line of code and the great thing it's always up to date because it's the latest one right and if you want to know what happened before that just go go back yeah. in history right so i think if you're disciplined about using pull requests well and issues well i think that solves a lot of the problems um but then you just have to be disciplined about doing your pull yeah. requests and issues well right i think that's 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 part of the trick you really got to be good about yeah. that using the prs yeah. you have to be very careful also um, to explain why you're doing something, not how you're doing something. Or, or don't explain what you're doing. You need to mm. say, you know, this is why this is happening. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen where a, a pull request gets opened and it's like just the commit message gets pulled in as the title and then all of the commits since, you know, wherever the, that you're merging into. Um, and, and I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I know all of this stuff. I can see that in the commit history. Explain to me why this is happening. And then and then you get a link back to a, the ticket in ClickUp. And I'm like, okay, well, what happens if we're not using ClickUp in 12 months' time? Like, how do I get... You mean mm, all those all those mm. WIP commits aren't valuable? I thought those were how you do it. Ooh, no, no. Uh, whip, he just said it. He whip just is fine until you rebase and then uh, give it a good good <laughs> message. Yeah. Until it lands in master. <laughs> That's right. No, going, going to the documentation thing, though, I... You know, I, I've had the benefit of, of kind of working on a solo team for seven years, you know, just me. So I'd, sure. to your point about discoverability, I've solved that because it's all just me. Now, what was really fun was when Jess came on and, and we worked and she kind of took point on a couple areas and same kind of things, right? This whole onboarding thing happened. And I, I will say that to this day, I still feel like the documentation game is more for management than it is for developers. Um, I, I feel like it's a myth to really be able to solve it. Like clearly nothing solved it is the point, right? There's no single tool to answer oh, sure. all this sure. because they all lack what it, exactly what Dorinda 
you know, was talking about discoverability. Mm-hmm. Like it's just the age old, you don't know what you don't know. And even if there was this magical tool with like the best search and you had like your own little Google engine and you went to this thing and you could say, how do I know how to interact with X service? Yeah. And all this doc popped up, you'd still have the unfortunate thing that happens to all humans is you have to read it right and no one's gonna effing read all that crap that's written and yeah. you have to maintain and it. you have to maintain that's the other thing you have to maintain it and so that's for all those reasons as well. like if you yeah. if you make a change to something and you don't know the documentation exists how do you know that you have to update it it's just exactly. like it's just like why i think code comments are you know terrible or that's the big argument against code comments is like or one of the big three arguments against it is that they're they're outdated. They're stale. They they in fact they could lead you the wrong mm-hmm. way. Um, to the point though, the code is the truth, and so anything where the documentation can be married with the code is is what gets you there. So yeah, you could say code comments, but but really what you were saying, Jake was just like that. You know, using Git, using your tool that manages Git around these formal things you know pull request is not something that exists in git that's part of github and and this service that gives you again that extra layer of documentation that extra layer of information Mm -hmm. now because you've adopted it readme files are big i mean i know that's simple and technical and may not scale well but if you get in the habit again it kind of helps with that discoverability like for shift for example I put all the tasks like when someone wants to merge their subscriptions because they forgot their CVC code and they use their different card and all this other crap. There's a little (laughs) there's a little heading in my readme file that's like merge subscriptions or, you know, rebuild team. Anything I've had to do over the years from a support perspective, I know it's just in that readme. And, you know, I've kind of learned that and it helps with the discoverability, even though it's just me. I am documenting, but I'm using the readme that's with the code. It's present on GitHub. It's formatted pretty because of GitHub Markdown and blah, blah, blah. So I would try yeah, to leverage right. whatever single tool just to provide some kind of answer. I would try to leverage whatever single tool that you're using the most. And that's most likely going to be Git and whatever service you know powers that mm-hmm. from a UI perspective. Now, of course, you're going to have to have yep. diagrams and this and that, and, you know, entity relationship models. I get it. But, you know, those can be linked out from the code or or whatever. Yeah. Nice thing, too, honestly, and GitHub is getting better and better with this, right? I mean, so they've got Mermaid.js, which is flowcharts in Markdown, essentially, which is freaking amazing because I love me some flowcharts. I, I literally write up flowcharts probably almost every day, almost every day, especially, especially when explaining things to a new dev. It's like my brain just works visually. And so writing things out in a flowchart just helps make sense to my brain and uh, hopefully to their brain too. But, but yeah, like you can do that now in, in GitHub. So you can, you can write some of that up. So, um, and I know we're, we're getting long, long on time here, so I'm going to start wrapping this up, but, um, but yeah, I think, so for me, I think the answer has been number one, if it's about a decision that's been made in the code, um, or the reason for why code exists, the location where that should be referenced is in the pull request where the code was merged or in the issue that the pull request is closing. So you still have to be, you know, at some point you have to decide where you're going to be disciplined about doing it well. And I think for me, that decision is you need to be disciplined about doing it in the pull request and in the issue. If you're not doing it there, you're going to have to do it somewhere else 
for me, it just makes most makes the most sense to do that. The readme, uh, I think, is a really good place to put information about um, the particular interesting points of a application, especially as it comes to getting it set up or co- or troubleshooting common problems. So like if you're a new developer who's coming into a project, they need to know, hey, when you run this, you're going to need to do DB seed, but then you're also going to need to run bouncer, seed bouncer, right? Because you know, there's all these roles and permissions that are in Bouncer and you're, you're not going to think of that when you're running, you know, that's not part of your default, whatever. Or, you know, you set, you set up a convention where you say you always run dot setup dot sh or whatever dot slash setup dot sh, you know, and you just as a convention on a team have this have this thing. So the readme is, is good for sort of outlining some of that. And then, um, you know, for things that sort of generally apply to to all of the other uh, to like all of your applications. Right. So for me. That's things like how how do you know how do I teach a new developer to use Mailhog, right? And just say like, hey, if you want to use local email, this is how you do that, right? Set it up this way, or hey, uh, instead of using an S3 bucket uh, in testing, you can use Minio. Here's how we set up Minio, right? Those sorts of things. <coughs> it's sort of take your pick. I think there's a lot of tools out there. Um, we've been using GitHub Wikis, but it's not searchable. And sort of organizing them is a sort of a nightmare. It gets out of control really fast. So I think we might move to something like Notion for that, just for those particular things. Um, but, but yeah, that's those are sort of the, some of the decisions we've made. So if that's helpful to anybody out there, um, hopefully that is a little bit of a at least a, a lead into mm-hmm. where you could where you could go. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of. I mean, and again, this is sort of like a black hole that you there's. Um, we were talking today about like ADRs, architecture decision records, where it's like every change you make, you have this ADR. And again, it's like, ugh. I mean, I just don't know if I want to commit to making a whole, yeah. you know, blog post about every technical mm-hmm. decision I make. I just, I don't know if I want to go there. I don't think I would be disciplined enough yeah. to keep up with That's it. That's kind of yeah. the thing that And then the second you don't, yeah, the second you stop keeping up with it, it all becomes worthless then. Irrelevant. So it's just mm. totally that's why I was saying earlier, like it's just kind of a myth. Like that doesn't mean don't document or give up. It just means like I just wouldn't I personally wouldn't have me or if I was managing a team or on a team, I would not put that on anyone like to say you must document all these things like that. Just to me, that feels like an old school like manager request that mm. everyone always kind of laughed at secretly yeah. that like this is never going to work. And the thing for me. Yeah, the thing for me too is it's sort of a moment, uh, momentum killer yeah. as well, right? Like, oh, I just got this feature done. I'm so mm-hmm. excited. Let's ship this thing. And it's like, well, you didn't check the boxes yet. You got to go document it over here. Yeah. And you got to do this, blah, 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 whatever. The ideal way to do it would be like you're documenting as you go, just naturally by the mm-hmm. way that you're doing the code, right? It, through like a GitHub discussion, yeah. right? Like, hey, this needs to change because yeah. X. Okay, let me go. Keep it natural. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. What, whatever's the lowest exactly. friction. Like the lowest friction is probably going to be the tool yeah, you're already yeah. in, which is the yeah. and like, GitHub, if you, GitHub, yeah. bucket. If you think if you think trying to like, quote, justify writing tests and the time it takes to do that is hard. Imagine trying to justify time to do the docs as well. Oh, like, for sure. <laughs> no, we, don't have, we don't have time to yeah, write the docs. Right. It's like, okay, well, in six months when someone wants to come back to this and doesn't know how it works you know, don't complain that they have to spend a week trying to figure out what's going on because we didn't spend the time now to write the docs. Like it's that same same kind of thing. 
Um, and it's always like, yeah. I always screw myself by like not doc- documenting stuff. And I've got a couple of freelance clients that like, I have to come back to something that asked me and I'm like, I, I got to go and look at the code. Cause obviously that's the source of truth, but it'd be quicker if I just yeah. had some reference that's like based on this, go here, do this, click that, you know, this is what you're after. As opposed to like, I've got to go well, and the- look in the code and see like, wh- and then work my way back to the UI to say, okay, this is what you need to do here, here and here. That's what makes it elusive and we all keep trying to document this because mm-hmm. we know it would be great if, yeah. you know, that magical bit of knowledge was like matrix injected into our brain. <laughs> but like, yeah, that's just not going to happen anytime soon. Right. And so we keep falling back to what we all know to be the hard truth. The code is the source. It is the truth. Mm-hmm. That is that is where we all come back to. I mean, again, you just got to think if you're if you're trying to learn how Laravel integrated Vite into something, you're going to be bouncing around GitHub issues and GitHub PRs totally. and learning. That's where you're going to be because that's where the code is. And so I think if you just keep your documentation yeah. as close as possible, that doesn't mean everything has to be in the code. Like, again, your flow charts can link out, but maybe they're in your readme file under a resources section. And, and if you're consistent and disciplined yeah, sure. on, all your reso- on all your repos to do that ki- kind of format for your readme file, then, you know, it, it starts to become... Hey, it feels like maybe you're you're kicking the the new dev off, you know, and dismissing them, but they'll start to see. Oh no, each repo has this. Oh, it doesn't have this. Okay, I want I want to help the team and and give it this section, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and leave those breadcrumbs. Yeah, and so I think that's just kind of the best we can do. Unfortunately, yeah. that's just where that's yeah. where I land. It's a yeah. hard but problem. I'm old to and solve. grumpy. Yeah, <laughs> and on that terrible disappointment, we should probably wrap up. <laughs> Let's do it. Hey, this was episode 121. Thanks so much, uh, Jason, for coming on and hanging out with us. If you'd like to find show notes for this episode, you can find them at northmeetsouth.audio slash 121. Hit us up on Twitter at Jacob Bennett, at Michael Dorinda, or at Gone Dark. If you're interested in talking to J-Max more, check out LaravelShift.com. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to their Shifty plan and get all your stuff upgraded. Um, yeah, rate us up in podcast of choice. Five stars is appreciated. All right, folks. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks again, Jason. Appreciate it, man. Bye. Bye.